how many kids you got? Was a real challenge for me, right? Oh, as it should, you know. Yeah, of course. And I would feel so disloyal or whatever to Bernadette if I said four. I'll say I've got five children because I do. Four in my arms, one in my heart. That's Paul Field, managing director of the Wiggles and Red Nose Day ambassador. And this is episode two hundred and forty-one of the Osher Ginsburg podcast. Welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is my show. Hello from the uh, a, a, a high-rise hotel on the Gold Coast. It's Logie's Night, and I'm recording this before I go downstairs and get a younger man's face painted on so I can go and walk a red carpet for the big awards night. Uh, if you've never listened to this show before, hello, I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is my podcast. I'm a TV host from Australia. I'm currently working on a show uh, where I'm uh, breaking hearts and helping people fall in love on a show called The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. And uh, when I'm not on TV, I'm uh, with my family, I'm cooking, I'm swinging a kettlebell, I'm on my bicycle, or I'm here making this podcast, which I have done with a bunch of fantastically handsome and beautiful and talented people uh, every Monday for the last 240 Mondays in a row. There's so many other episodes. Uh, Someone sent me a picture of them listening to episode 18 with Dr. Carl the other day. That was an interesting time in my life. Uh, you, You can hear it in my voice. That was right before everything went a little odd. Oh, you can hear it. One, yeah, listen to my voice in that. But, you know, I'll leave that to you to discover. Uh, if you're new, let me tell you about the show. This podcast is a conversation that you get to be a part of, a conversation designed specifically to help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Now, sometimes this conversation will be with a name that you know. Sometimes you'll go through the podcast list and go, oh, I know that person, download, download, download. But sometimes this conversation will be with a person that you don't know. But I guarantee that no matter what, today on this show, you will hear something you need to hear. Something that'll make you tilt your head to one side and go, oh, oh yeah, actually, I never thought about it like that. You're going to hear something you need to hear today, and that is a guarantee. That is what I designed these conversations to do, and that thing that you're going to hear is just going to help you just hopefully try and make today a little bit better than yesterday, because that's what we're all here to do, right? That's what we're all here to do. Big hello to the people who've joined in on the Facebook group, which I started out as an experiment just a few short weeks ago. We passed 600 members this week. Big achievement for all of us. There's some really wonderful, really supportive conversations going on there. I'm grateful we're all making it work. A lot of people helping each other out, which is bloody great. There's a link in my Instagram bio if you want to find that or just search groups in Facebook and you'll you'll find us there. It's a private group. You just answer some questions in the um, thingy and boom, you're in. Uh, big thank you to everybody that pre-ordered the book this week. Uh, I hope the people that got the videos of, of me saying thank you, enjoyed them. Uh, I'm making them slowly. There's a few, which is lovely, uh, but I'm, I'm getting through them. Please be patient there. They Speaking of the book, uh, I got the official email, and it, and it was like under the <laughs> Indiana Jones, under the big sliding stone door, grabbing his hat close, but I got it all done, and they hit go on the printing press on Friday afternoon. That's a big deal. It's printing. It's a way. There's big machines making a physical manifestation of what was in my head, 
that you can hold in your hands, and that's happening uh, right now. The book is definitely, definitely on the way. You can buy it at a hefty discount through that link in my bio on Instagram if you if you like. Um, or, you know, you can wait until it comes out and buy it at full price. That's fine with me. <laughs> um, I hope we get to meet in person. I'm going to try as hard as I can to get around Australia as much as I can and, and, and see as many people as I can uh, as, as the book goes out. A big thank you to everybody that sent a Podsy this week. It's just so great seeing where you listen to the show. A Podsy is just a picture. You're listening to this on a phone. Now, there are two people that listen on a desktop. I saw on the stats this week. You're probably listening to this on a phone. Your phone will have a camera. Take a photo of what it is you're looking at right now. And honestly, I got the best photo of someone folding laundry the other day. Nothing could make me happier than the, the fact that I get to the, be there with someone who's doing the really important, some, sometimes mundane, but very important task of making sure all the clothes are in order for them, for their family. And we got to do it together. I was so happy with that. So you don't have to bloody wait until you're somewhere spectacular, though, you know, we, we have here at the show gotten photos of, I'm listening in the classic steps of Western Mongolia. We have gotten that, which is pretty good. Uh, but, you know, wherever you want, just take a photo, send it to me on Instagram or email email at gmail.com. Great videos from some morning walks along the coastline as well this week, which was great. I wanted to check in with you this week. I didn't want to check in um, and let you know something that has been working for me. It might it might work for you. Um, I have been off meds for uh, generalized anxiety and OCD since December, and part of being off meds mean you have to get on the business of looking after yourself. You can't just come off meds and expect everything to be sweet because it won't be. That's happened to me before, and it was terrible, uh, which is in the book. Uh, but, you know, part of being off meds is taking the responsibility of like, okay, so I've got a brain that, you know, needs meds. Um, what can I give it? So to make sure I don't need to be on meds again, uh, what can I give it? I can give it discipline. I can give it great nutrition and I can give it exercise and I can give it working practices around creating different thought patterns and kind of like being on the front foot around managing my thoughts and managing what's going on in my head because I got born with a different brain and uh, I guess along the way I did a few things to maybe degrade the brain I did get given. Um, I have to take a few extra steps in my day to make sure that I can kind of function on a, on a, on a okay level and that's just what I get to do, all right? I just I can't just kind of wander through life. I have to kind of be deliberate about how I do things because that's what I've got and um, by deliberately being in control, I feel much more in control rather than just kind of being at the mercy of the thoughts sometimes. So one of the things that does, excuse me, one of the things that has been working for me this week, and I just started experimenting with it, and look, I tell you, for me, it's been working really well. <clears throat> Helps me get up and get going in the morning, and if there's any, if I've woken with any kind of anxiety, any, and people who have anxiety would know, sometimes you go, oh, I'm awake, oh, fuck, you know, straight away your body just goes into this panic for no other reason than, your body just thinks, oh, that's right. I'm normally always afraid. Let's get afraid about nothing. But then your body just goes into this fear response for no reason. Uh, and it's quite uncomfortable. But I have found that if I've been waking with a little bit of that, this does help. Um, there's a lot of talk in the Facebook group about getting in the habit of looking after your body so you can look after your mind. And the consensus in the conversation there between the people there on the, on the group is that making sure you put the exercise in between things that you would normally do anyway. Now, there's a fair bit of research around this being a way to make sure you hit firing speed a bit earlier in the day and, and to try and kind of help your body wake up and everything catch up. And I'll actually look, I'll get onto that 
Um, so it is important that I, I reference research, and I'll, I'll, I'll get onto that. I'll try and get some of that on next week. Um, but this is what I do every morning. <clears throat> I, I wake up. I walk from my bedroom to the kitchen. I flick on my coffee machine. All right. Um, for you, it might be putting the kettle on, uh, whatever it is. There's a few seconds, like a minute and a half, two minutes while I wait for this machine to, to warm. And now as the coffee machine is warming up, it takes about two minutes, I do three things. I do one set of squats. Nothing, just no, I'm not holding any weight, just coming down to a squat, standing back up. I do one set of push-ups and I do one set. I've got uh, on the doorway to our kitchen, because speaking of putting exercise between things that you normally do, we have. I put a chin-up bar between our living room and our kitchen. So every time, well, I try to, every time we go through uh, to the kitchen or back, I try and like do a chin-up or do some hanging leg raises or just some, just one or two reps. That's it. But just something to, to, to keep going. Um, so I just, I just do a set of dead hangs and just pull my knees into my chest. I do that 10 times. And so that's, you know, it's a really simple, very easy, very light range of motion. And by the time I'm done, the coffee machine's ready to go. My body's more awake. My brain's more awake. Whatever anxiety I might've working with has had a release valve, you know, pushed on it. And, I feel a bit better about getting on with my day. And that does really help focus me because then I sit down and write my journal. Um, that really, really helps focus me. It's been helping me get uh, on point up to the right revs a minute to engage the uh, gears a lot quicker. Um, and look, I understand that the last six months I've been very, very intent on physicality and exercise being a big focus of my life so the movements i've just described might not be available to you and that's totally fine there was definitely a time in my life when those were not available to me so you know we've talked a lot in this show about breaking things down to the smallest possible step so if a set of push-ups isn't available to you totally fine there was a time in my life when push-ups weren't available to me if you haven't done a push-up since pe or your flexibility is at a point where squats aren't available to you totally fine. What is the smallest version of that movement that you could do while the kettle boils, the toaster toasts or the microwave microwaves? What is the smallest version of that that you could do? If it's a push-up, perhaps it's standing facing a wall, putting your hands on the wall, leaning into the wall so your face is close to the wall, bending from your ankles, and then pushing away. Or if it's squats, um, if you have a dining chair in your home, you, you might have a dining chair or any kind of chair. I hope you do. Uh, just sit down in that chair and then putting your feet underneath you, breathe out as you stand up. How many reps do you need to do? Just one. Do one rep. That's it. One wall push-up, one chair squat. Then get about making your breakfast. That's it. That's it. You've done it. Brilliant. Tomorrow... Try two. By the end of the week, try three. Break down the goal to the minimum ingredients required and just do the one next rep. That's it. Just do the next rep. That is it. To give you to give you an analogy, let's just say what's well, something that requires a fair amount of something that's oh goodness me, that took a lot. Okay, like a birthday cake, all right. Let's say you're going to bake a birthday cake for someone you love. Your husband, your wife, your kid, your cousin, your best friend. 
Let's say you're going to bake a birthday cake for someone you love, one that looks as moist and delicious as it does on the recipe page you saw in the book or you saw on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Because, you know, when you're baking a birthday cake, you want to convey your love for this person through the effort that you put into preparing that food. You don't go buy a ready-made cake. You might, but, you know, if you want to bake it, you want to bake it for a reason. You're baking this one and you're, you're tapped into your why as to why you're baking it the whole way through the preparation. You're not buying a ready-made cake because by taking the time to bake it, you're showing your love and commitment to this person. You know, you know what I mean. Same with making a meal. So you've got your why. We talked about this last week. Focus on your why. And now the process is driven from a different place. You don't have to make a birthday cake. You get to make a birthday cake. And, and you get to do all these things to show this person through this creation that you're making this thing for them. And what you do is then you break it down. In, you break bake this. You break down the baking of this cake into the smallest possible ingredient, and you get each ingredient out of the cupboard. If you don't have all those ingredients, oh, we're out of vanilla essence, boom, you make a trip down to the shops, you go and get them. And then you get home and realize you got the wrong shaped baking tray. So you go out again and you get the right kind of baking tray. But it's not a problem because the person whose birthday it is, they're really special to you. And your why is to show them how special through the effort that you're taking to create this cake for them and the people you're going to enjoy the cake with. So you break down the process into tiny, tiny increments, teaspoon by teaspoon, gram precise, step by step for hours until the cake looks moist and delicious just like it does on the recipe page. And while it might have been annoying at times, the why was always more powerful. So to get the analog out of this, if if we're baking something for someone we love, in this analogy, the someone you love is you. The birthday cake is your body. Don't we all feel better when we're moist and delicious? (laughs) You get what I mean? The why is that when you take care of your body, you're caring for your mind. And by caring for both, you're caring for those around you. I can only speak for me, but I know in my case, I'm a punish to be around when I've not exercised. So I care for my family. I care for my colleagues by caring for myself and make sure that I'm calm and focused and not jumpy with anxiety, like when my cavoodle goes to the dog park and spots someone else's ball, all right? Because it's difficult to be around. The dog's pulling on the leash and it's really hard and you're freaking out. Like, that's what I can get like. And it's difficult to be around me. People have told me. So I know that in order for me to be calm and, you know, <laughs> calm, submissive, season millennials used to say, I've got to get it. I've got to, I've got to get it done. I've got to off gas that extra energy and I've got to look after myself. But that's my why. But you know what? It starts with just one rep just one now in fact every every marathon that i've run i've run a few marathons i've run a bunch of half marathons every hundred mile bike ride up bloody mountains in utah that i've done it's only ever one step it's only ever one pedal right after the other that is it that is as much as it is you just do one and then you keep going now maybe maybe you can bang out 10 squats 10 sit-ups 10 dead hangs, whatever. Uh, look, I, I can assure you that there was a time in my life when one push-up was not available to me. Years of my life, in fact. I couldn't do one push-up. I know what it's like. I have been there. But the only way that I got from that overweight, unhealthy, sedentary version of myself 
I was over 112 kilos at one point. The only way I got from there to now, just, you know what I did? I just started walking. I walked one step at a time until one day I felt like running. The only way I got from, you know, to be honest, we're talking about, you know, one step at a time, the only way I got from the wreckage of the drinking to now was just not drinking one day at a time, sometimes not drinking one hour at a time, sometimes not drinking five minutes at a time. But it all adds up. Incremental change is lasting change. Just focus on your why. Take a one simple step. If it feels okay, take another. Repeat as needed. So I hope you can all do this week. Just try it out. One squat, one or push-up, just one something while your breakfast is warming up. It's less than 10 seconds of your life. If it feels okay, you're not injured, feels all right, do two. What do you know? Tomorrow, put another one on there. Add more reps. See what happens. Give your brain a boost in the morning. Give those around you the gift of releasing any of anxiety or weirdness that might be lingering around you. Give yourself the gift of creating some inertia for your day, getting some inertia about moving your body. Feel your brain a little better. You don't need to do a full workout, just one set of a few things. Sends a message to your brain and your body. It's go time. Kicks that sleep-wake cycle into gear. There's a bunch of stuff behind it that makes it work. In my experience, it's led me to be way more productive far earlier in the day. And also, I feel less jumpy, which is way, way good (laughs) for me and those around me. Um, If that works for you, I'd love to hear. If it works for you, send us your email at gmail.com. If you think I'm full of shit, (laughs) I'd love to hear that too. Send us your email at gmail.com. Thank you so much to everybody that did send me a photo of what you're looking at right now. Um, Also, for those of you who bought the book, thank you very, very, very much indeed. And thank you for the lovely notes uh, that you've written. Um, uh, It's lovely to see you all on Facebook. And if you do feel like supporting the show in a more tangible way, you can always rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps people discover the show a lot more. And um, look, if you've got a spare couple of bucks, there's I don't make this show alone. Podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. I, I have to pay my producers uh, to help me make this show each week. Um, so if you have a spare buck, patreon.com slash osher, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash osher. If this show brings you value, I'd ask you know to consider perhaps maybe returning some of that value and throwing, eh, throw a dollar a month our way. That really help us keep the lights on. I'd really appreciate it. So. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let me tell you about my guest today. Paul Field is the managing director of international children's entertainment mega brand, The Wiggles. He's also an ambassador for Red Nose Day, which funds research and support around the incidence of sudden infant death syndrome or SIDS. In Australia, nine babies and children will die today as a result of SIDS. But that number is down 85% from what it once was due largely to the incredible research and awareness that Red Nose Day raises money to support. After listening to this, I'm sure you want to throw some help their way. You can donate year-round at rednoseday.com.au. Like I said, Paul Field is the managing director of The Wiggles, but as you'll hear, he was once the front man for an incredibly successful Aussie pub rock band called The Cockroaches, along with his brother Anthony and a sleepy keyboard player named Jeff. However, as you'll hear, The Cockroaches eventually wound down the Wiggles wound up, all while Paul dealt with an incredible tragedy in his life, the sudden death of his infant daughter, Bernadette, when she was just eight months old. This is a heavy tale, and if anyone you know has been through something similar, this podcast might bring up some intense emotions, uh, intense emotions for you. Uh, perhaps there's some unprocessed grief still lingering. Paul and I talk about that quite a bit. If so, please reach out for help. Uh, if you're in Australia, uh, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14, but do make sure that you seek someone to talk to if this one does bring anything up. I can't thank Paul enough for coming on the show and sharing his story so authentically, and I hope that you can resonate with his message about how he loves his life now, even after going through such incredible loss and incredible grief. I'm grateful you're here, and I'm grateful that together we can have this conversation with Paul Field. Hi, Paul. Great, thank you. Yeah, thanks yeah. for coming, man. My thanks pleasure. For making the mission. You've just done the dash from Channel Nine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We always David and um, Sonia. David and Sonia. Yeah, yeah, looks great. Oh, unreal. Yeah, yeah. And here we are. I'm stoked. I'm stoked to have you here. I haven't been in the same space as you <laughs> since World Expo Fun Park 1988. Wow, there you go. Hey. You and a few others. That was a that was a great event. The, the kind of um, expo transformed Brisbane, didn't it? No offence, but it was kind of a big country town. Oh, it was a cow expo. Town. Oh man, it was a total yeah. Cow town. And it, it, it transformed it, so it was uh, a wild, fun time, but also yeah. it changed the city for the better. Yeah, yeah it was great. Yeah, but I remember standing there. Uh, you were on stage. I yeah. watched you play a gig. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I watched you play a gig. Yeah, yeah. No, it was good fun. Good days. Uh, yeah, man. I was uh, I was so excited to. You know, it was one of my. I was only fourteen. It was one of my right. first exposures to. Oh, here's this band I've heard on the radio. Yeah. Oh, that's. Oh, that's. The, oh, that band on the telly. That's the band I heard on the radio. <laughs> oh my god, the band I heard on the radio and on the telly is going to be at this thing tonight. I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> and Just then you played the song that I heard on the radio on the telly, and I lost my mind. <laughs> it was a great era. We the, the cockroaches kind of rode the last wave of the pub rock era in. You know when. 
radio had the freedom to play any song they wanted. So you, you could bust into the charts because Adelaide was playing you or Newcastle was playing you. Now it's some dude in Sydney, you know, programming it for the whole of the country. So it's it was a great era. We were very lucky to be a part of it and, man, it was fun. It was awesome. The yeah. final the final days, those those big bombs, those big kind of – Yeah. Because I was – I started being a roadie for cover bands around 92. Ah, okay. And we were, we were playing – like we were the last echoes of the – Yes, the thunderclap that you were on. Yes. So they they had these huge infrastructure, like for example, something where we lived, like the Beanley Tavern. All right, yeah. you could fit. It would have fifteen hundred people right. in it on a yeah. Friday night. Yep. seven bars. Yes, all right, geez. it was jai fucking gigantic. <laughs> yeah, but by the time we got there, it was like wow. Rave culture, ecstasy, far more fun than, you know, <laughs> watching a cover band belt out, yeah. you know, pressure down yeah, from right. Farnham. So, you, you know, there we were trying to, <laughs> you know, fill this echo chamber with about uh, 150 people in it. Yeah, well, it, it's, it is, yeah, it's funny the people you met along the road there, though. I, I know, um, was it Bombay Rock in, in, in Queensland? Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, all the bands would play and we, we'd do a set, but there would be bands that would do like four sets yeah. pretty much through the evening. And years later, you'd meet them and, you know, the guys from Savage Garden would be one of those bands, you yeah. know. Red uh, Edge was their Red Edge, okay. That was their band. Okay, there you go. All yeah, right. yeah. I famously turned down the gig of the bass player in that band. Of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. you're a bit too pop for me. I know more of this kind of Frank Zappa kind of thing. Me and my fretless bass, I'm trying to be like Les Clapper from Primus. I'll be over here. Oh, what's that? You've gone number one in the US a year and a half later. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and many years later, we ran um, in, in Nashville, we ran into Keith Urban, who was also on that circuit. Fractured Mirror. Yes, there you go. So you've got the names. I just just another bloke. So that's about it. Good yeah, on you. Yeah. So it was it was a buoyant era and and, yeah. and just great stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a pity it's gone. You know where even the biggest bands. I got all well, my kids are adults now, but um and they they still love live music and that. But even the biggest bands now, you might only see them at a festival or a gig, whereas back in the day. The biggest bands will come to your suburb. Yeah. You know, and, and we did play six, seven nights a week, some nights multiple gigs. So it was an awesome era. Because you would play back, you know, as there was the circuit, you would play, say, for example, the Beanley Tavern. Yeah. And then you play uh, maybe the Broad Beach Tavern, yeah. which is maybe 20 Ks down the road. Then uh, Mansfield. Play, Ma- Mansfield, then Playroom, uh, yeah. you know, and then Bombay Rock. So you'd be doing, you'd do a, a whole week yeah. on the Goldie. That's it. And, and, and I mean, this is how long. Uh, this aged me really well, where um, veteran TV people like Sandra Sully would say, I used to see you guys at the Mansfield Tavern up the front with my girlfriends. I'm thinking, wow, we've been around a while. (laughs) (laughs) My favourite Sandra Sully quote, she was Jamie Dunn's aerobics instructor. Wow. She taught aggro how to do the grapevine. That's fair. Well... Wow, no, that's a yeah. trick. Yeah, that's a, that's that that was that was her thing, and you know it wasn't. It was only about two weeks ago I had Guy Sebastian sitting right in that chair, ah, right? and yeah. you talk you talk about an era, you talk about yes. radio. Yes. Tell me how long do you think it's been since we've had an Australian number one single? I don't know. I don't know, mate. What? Tell me. We are mid two thousand eighteen when we record this. Yeah. Two thousand fifteen was the last time we had an Australian number one. Jeez. It's been three years, okay. and that was the Veronicas. Yeah, okay. So you could kind of argue that 
Yes. Oh, they did it over there. Yeah. They did it in America, access to American studios and songwriters. Gee, that's not good. No. It tells you a lot about the shifting yeah. industry, yeah. doesn't it? Does it make it better? Does it make it worse? I don't know. But, you know, for a pop act, it's bloody hard now. Yeah, well, for any act, really. And, yeah. and, and, and yeah, it's a, it's a pity because, you know, Australia's always punched above its weight in the creative arts. And, and it's why, actually, so many of the bands from the 80s were so, and 70s were so successful overseas because you had to be able to prove yourself live. And Aussie would go, okay, they're good. Right? I saw the single, perhaps, so, you know, but if, mm. if you didn't cut it live, that was it, mate, you know. Mm. So when uh, In Excess, Midnight Oil, ACDC and all that went overseas to play live, they were a smoking band yeah. and could play to an audience. And um, I'm sure that's that's part of their success. So it's a pity that doesn't exist now yeah. because there's not many places to play. Well, exactly. And I, I used to have this theory around it because um, I'm part of a, a small group of Brisbane people that uh, all kind of uh, jettisoned together and have mm-hmm. all since kind of moved up at the same. And I had this kind of theory that just to reach escape velocity from Brisbane, you had to be of a certain level, yeah. all right? And the same thing, what you're saying, like just yeah. to reach escape velocity yes. of like enough to escape velocity is the speed you have to get to with, you know, escape from gravity. You're like just to get out of Australia, you've got to be so damn good yeah. to even just get out. So by the time you get to, I don't know, London or, or LA yeah. or whatever, you've got just thousands of hours up your sleeve. Yes, you look at some of those festival lineups. Like I think it was Steve Wozniak put on the Us Festival uh-huh. in 1983. Right, like the biggest, like Van Halen's headlining yeah, that day. Yeah, yeah. All right, and then you look down it, and it is in excess divinals <laughs> models. Like it is boom, bang, boom, Australian. Yeah, well, and and yeah, and, and, and you know, many years ago, the Saints with I'm Stranded. You know, that you you will also have the ability to cut through on a worldwide basis. Mm. You know, there with. With a song, and again, you know, Aussies didn't know who the hell the Saints were, let alone uh, <laughs> people overseas. But you had the ability to be able to do that. I guess you still can now with the internet and the rest of it. But just the that that ability to to play gigs uh, anywhere and everywhere yeah. that doesn't exist. But you know, I guess every new age has its challenges and opportunities. I'm interested to know how because you've got a pretty interesting job now. Yeah. I'd say you've got two pretty interesting jobs mm-hmm. now. What do you? What, what's written on your business card? I'm the managing director of the Wiggles, <laughs> not the band manager. The managing director of like Wiggles Inc. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a small operation. Small. We are well in the sense of the number. Small of people. operations don't get DFAT awards, mate. <laughs> True. <laughs> I just mean as in the number of people working, you know, with us. It's it's it. But yeah, it's it's um, 27 years strong, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, um, and it, it, yeah, it's it's great fun, exciting, and it's a family business. My brother Anthony created the group. He's the Blue Wiggle. Three of my kids work for the organisation, so I know where they are most times, which is pretty cool. Um, and yeah, it's it's just great to be part of something that's really so positive, so successful, and also has challenges ahead of it. It's not like we're bored with what we do. Yeah. It's you know, it's a every eighteen months there's a new audience born. You know, so you've got to be able to engage them and. It's a different, you know, the first wave of success the Wiggles had in North America uh, in the early noughties, 2003, I think, was the peak. Um, Very different era, you know, where before all the digital platforms existed and all that kind of stuff. So it's great to be able to adapt and and as we have and, yeah, it's great fun. Tell me about if you wouldn't. I mean, we're here to talk about yeah. about that. We're also here to talk about uh, Red Nose Day, which yeah, I, I know you have a very 
a very deep and profound connection to. Um, but I, you know, I am, I am quite interested in transition phases in people's yeah. in people's careers. Like mm. you're on stage, you're you're you know you're on the telly, you're on the radio. Yep. Um, when was the the cockroaches thing? When did you know uh, this thing's going to be over? I think I might go do something else. I think like a lot of things, they just kind of creep up on you, and then you 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 know it, things change. That's that's the that's the one constant in life is change, particularly in entertainment. You know, and um, so the cockroaches. You know, we started literally when we were in high school, and I'm one of seven children, and the the last three of us. I was born in May 61. My brother Johnny was May 62 and Anthony May 63. So we've always done stuff together. And um, we ended up, you know, playing music together and in high school, you know, forming the Cockroaches. And we've always just had that, wouldn't it be great to, you know, do a gig, you know, to put out a single, you know. And, and, and that's all we wanted to do. We were music fanatics, you know. And so it kicked off and eventually we had some enormous success. And, you know, it was a live band, then a, a gold album, a platinum album, yeah, on Countdown, on TV shows, all that kind of stuff. But when it was taking off, um, in the, Anthony had done all sorts of things and he'd at one stage they'd joined the army, right, um, for no other – well, two main reasons, right? Elvis did. And I kid you not, that's a serious factor in Anthony's life. And that girls like guys in uniforms. Two pretty bloody good reasons, I think, you know. And I think when he got off the bus at Kapuka and the guy was screaming at him in, in nose to nose at him, thought, oh, this is a mistake. <laughs> but, yeah, good luck to him. He was a trained infantry soldier, drove an APC and eventually found his niche music. So he eventually joined the Pipes and Drums. And they, for eight hours a day, would practice music and the pipes and so he found his little area by the time he got out of the army uh, in the early 80s he was posted in sydney so that he kind of was able to do gigs he'd literally pay someone to do guard duty for him and would nick off do a gig and go back and then the band uh, he finished the army and then was kind of had done all the macho side of his life and the band was still kicking the cockroaches you know we'd play and stuff and really Again, this is the way life happens. One of my sisters, Colleen, was wanted to do an early childhood course at, at uh, the Waverley campus of Macquarie Uni. And Anthony, she said to Anthony, can you give me a lift? I want to, I've got to sign up for this course. So on the way there, he said, what's the course all about? She said, oh, it's early childhood studies. You can teach preschool kids. And she went, oh, okay. And he dropped her off and actually went with her when she went to do a, a, a sign-up. And I think in the course the campus around this area actually, say there were 400 people on campus, literally 395 were women. Anthony's just out of the army, he went, this is bloody good. <laughs> Ironically enough, he's the one that signed to do the course, again, for as much reasons as why he joined the army. Um, my sister dropped out, but he, he eventually stayed and grew to actually love the course. He, he thought it was the, kind of the other side of his, you know, he'd done the macho thing. This was in parent children. He, he found it fascinating. And so he did a year of that course and then the cockroaches took off, like literally boom, and he, so he deferred it. And then uh, we'd had all that success, as I say, and in 1988 we did Expo, which I think we spoke about. Um, and in September of 1988, we were touring, the cockroaches were touring in Queensland, and the industry had started to change a bit anyway. It was the last year of Countdown, which was a, a nationally broadcast pop TV show, which was massive. Radio just started to change. Anyway, we were in, in Airlie Beach, 
and um, it was September 1. And I, my, by that stage, I was married with a boy, my little boy Luke, who's 32 now, was two at the time, a little baby girl, Bernadette, who was seven and a half months old. And these are the days before mobile phones. So my wife and I would call on the landline every, every few days kind of thing as much as we could. Because I was touring, she went up to her parents' place in Cessnock in the Hunter Valley and stayed with her mum and dad and that was great. And so, thank God, I, I actually did call that night of September 1 and Bernadette had just started to crawl and her grandfather had taught her this little trick. He'd wave it and, and, teach, and was teaching her to say ta-ta. And um, so Pauline was telling me her latest tricks and literally got her to say ta-ta to me over the phone, which is, is beautiful, and I was very lucky to hear her voice. And then she woke up during the night, uh, about one-ish, I think, and Pauline went in to see her, and she was just gurgling and smiling at my wife, you know, and she went, you know, little monkey, what are you doing, you know, and she was just happy and said hello to her kind of thing and put her back down to bed. And then that next morning, the morning of September 2 in 1988, Pauline woke up and they were watching breakfast TV and they saw the host had Red Nose Day. This is 30 years ago. It was the first Red Nose Day in Australia. And I think the, uh, my grand, uh, Pauline's father had said, oh, that's a bit silly. What are they doing that for? And she went, oh, look, it's a good cause, blah, blah, blah. She literally went from there into where Bernadette was sleeping and she worked, as most parents would know, something was wrong as soon as she walked into the room. And she died during the night of sudden infant death syndrome. Pauline was shrieking and picked her up, screaming, saying, she's not breathing, she's not breathing. And um, her brother just said, come with me. And they, they screamed her and drove into the hospital with the horn blaring the whole time, which is only a few minutes away, the hospital. But she died during the night. Um, and so they took her away for a little while and just came back and said, sorry, she's died, you know. And uh, uh, I was up in Queensland, as I said, and... As the universe would have it, my father, who had been a pharmacist his whole life, had retired and just, you know, three of his sons were on tour going to Queensland. He said, oh, I'll come with you, you know, for the crack kind of thing. I said, that'd be great. So he did. And I was very lucky in that sense so that, you know, the one who told me about my daughter's death was my dad. And I was in, I was sharing a room with him. I was in shaving and he came in and I thought, God, something's wrong, you know. He couldn't speak and he just put his hand on my shoulder and said, come in. And he sat me down on the bed there and just said, Bernadette's dead. And my brothers, Johnny and Anthony, were in the room next to me. I, I really actually can't remember much of this at all now, but they said they just heard this guttural wail, you know. And uh, um, so, yeah, that's, that's how I found out. And eventually Pauline rang me from the hospital. Poor thing was just wrecked and just said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said, Pauline... It's not you. She just, you know, I, I didn't really understand much about it then. But I flew back um, that night and um, a mate of mine, actually, who I used to teach with, um, picked me up from the airport and I said, oh, he was taking me up to the Hunter Valley and I said, oh, I've got to drop you into my house. I need, there's something I need to get, which I didn't. I just actually wanted the excuse to go to her room. And, you know, God, she'd only been gone a couple of days and I just went into her little bedroom and her cot and she used to sleep on this lamb's well. And so I just picked it up and smelt it because, you know, her little baby, you know, I could smell her still. She, you know, it was a beautiful and aching thing to do, but I really needed to do that, you know. And, and then I drove up and it kind of the, the nightmare began, you know, and uh, it was um, just the worst 
time, which is never far from me, you know, and, and um, we, we just wept and wept but spoke a lot with each other, you know, and just went into – actually, it was interesting. I, I, at the time, she was um, down at the, you know, the funeral directors and someone asked me, would you like to see her body? Um, and at the time, I said no because in some ways I thought, oh, you know, it's not something you'd like to do, you know, but I've learnt since that actually it's kind of a good thing for your healing to actually say goodbye to whoever's passed, you know. And I guess that's my first step in learning about grief because, you know, in the modern age we don't really do it well, you know, and different cultures for centuries have done it well for very good reasons. So, you know, I've got half of European background in me, Irish, uh, Italian, you know, French, you name it, kind of, we're there. And a lot of those cultures do it really well, you know, the people wearing black. Yeah. And it's kind of signed to the rest of everyone to say, hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm in mourning. I need to mourn, you know. Um, and, and, yeah, so, you know, it's a pity I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to her, you know. But my wife also was, was oh, my goodness, you know, um, she's the one who found her and actually for quite a while could not get that image out of her head. Um, and uh, I know of an, of an evening, I thought she would be crying, like midway through the night, she'd wake up with her crying, and she was asleep by crying, and just tortured by the image. So we actually, she went and got hypnotherapy, which is very helpful, and she actually now, if she tries to remember that image, can't, which is very good, because it, it traumatised her, you know. And I went back straight on the, after the funeral, which was actually a beautiful ceremony, and we had lots of singing, and um, uh, again, I, I helped, you know, encouraged to be actively involved in it, which I'm so grateful for that advice. And lots of beautiful songs for her. And then, you know, one of the worst and most beautiful moments of my life, you know, like literally carrying her, her coffin to the graveside, you know. And, uh, but it was good to be involved, you know. If anyone's going to send it off, it should be her father, you know. And... Um, and then, uh, yeah, just the worst, worst, you know, moments. In those immediate months, and it is months, you actually don't know how you can survive. It sounds a bit melodramatic, but it's bloody true, you know. And luckily for us, Luke, who was two at the time, we had him. So we kind of had to kick into gear and do things for him. Um, and it's amazing, you know, like, two-year-olds, that's a toddler, you're a baby, really, you know, and... But there's, there's a knowing that little ones have and he was so gorgeous with her as a baby. He would hug her and kiss her all the time as two-year-olds do with their siblings or can do <laughs> at times. Um, but when Pauline was nursing her after in the hospital when she had just died, she asked him if, she wanted, if he wanted to nurse her and he said no. He kind of knew something was different. And in the months that followed, and I can't imagine Luke being left alone for a millisecond, but he must have been in the lounge room, which was close to the kitchen and or the lounge dining area, and he was just playing with his toys. And for those of you with babies and toddlers and so on, there's, babies and toddlers can cry at all sorts of different times, you know, whether hungry or upset or bored or whatever, tired, you know. So there's lots of different cries that you hear. And then there's a cry when, say, they've got their finger jammed in a door or something that's like, oh, my God, they're in pain. We raced in. Nothing had happened. But there was, he, he shrieked. And that's when, oh, man, 
he's probably heard us doing that for the last few months. So we sought some help and, and uh, for him and for ourselves. Um, and again, someone explained to us, look, for a two-year-old, they don't understand what's happened. You need to explain it in their terms. And we did for many years, you know, afterwards, that she was weak, you were strong, you kind of put it into their terms. It's not going to happen to you, you know. And, and we're very cognizant of the, the need to, you know, have photos of her and talk about her and that kind of stuff, which, again, is a good thing, in, you know, that helped us. But I went on the road shortly after and um, uh, Pauline actually got went to counselling, which was really helpful for her. And being a bloke in the 80s, or any time really, it's not something that's said, suggested to you, certainly not in those days. And it's no surprise we were helped by the people at Resnose who sent out a counsellor and the rest of it. And I know that 70 to 80% of marriages where a child has died break up. <laughs> And I totally understand that, you know. And I was actually back in Queensland at one stage and, again, back to the days of no mobiles. I remember ringing her from a phone booth somewhere saying, I need help. I was imploding, you know. And so that's what was happening to us in the in 88. And that was the same era with the band where radio changed, where TV changed, and we, we staggered on for a couple of years, for a few years. But Anthony, who's kind of always like the canary down the mine, just went, this isn't fun. It's, it's not fun. It used to be really great. And um, we kept going, but he said, you know what, I, I need to go back to uni. I want to finish that degree. And so he did. And so at one stage there, 1991, literally, we were still doing, the cockroaches still existed. We put an album out, I think. We, we st- Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Certainly toured to a, a bit of an extent, but not to the way we used to. And um, so we still played music. We had the cockroaches. I had a rockabilly band, which pretty much had nearly all the cockroaches in it. Anthony and Jeff and Tony Henry and my brother John, I think. It's got a, a slap bass player. And then with his early childhood studies, Anthony had actually come to one of the kind of band meetings for the Cockroaches and said, we should do a, an album of, of kids' music, <laughs> which at the time was like saying, we should fly to Mars. You know, it's like, what do you mean, you know? But whatever Anthony's into, it's 100%. And he was fascinated by early childhood and how, you know, children who aren't putting sentences together, how they can be engaged by music, etc., etc. And it was probably for the better because... You know, um, even though we're just a couple of years apart, I kind of had the the older brother vibe to me. Johnny was kind of the musical guy, and Anthony was in between all of that. And so, had we actually, he said, "I'm going to do, I'm going to do an album. Then it'll help me get a job as a preschool teacher, and, and I want to do it." You know, and using my musical background and my educational background, so he went off and did that, kind of with a couple of mates from uni, Murray and Je- uh, Greg. And then with his old cockroaches uh, piano playing mate, Jeff, um, did this album. 
And so in 1991, that's when they, the Wiggles first started playing and recording. So the Cockroaches still kind of existed, but we limped on just for a few more years and then kind of, kind of you know, faded into the background. Um, but it worked. Anthony did get a job as a preschool teacher by making this album. So he, he taught it. Uh, Blake actually ran this, a, a place around this area, um, Temple Emmanuel, a, a Jewish preschool. Uh, for a few years and and loved immersing himself in, in that culture. Uh, so often people, if they see some of the early Wiggle songs, both here in the States, they say, so who's Jewish? It's like, no, 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 <laughs> he's just taught there. So, you know, Lechu Yeladim, Havana Shalom, Alechem, and all these other uh, songs in Hebrew, Anthony got to know the culture through through his preschool. And eventually the Wiggles got successful. Um, so eventually he said, uh, to the people there, you know, I've got to go, you know, and we're going to do this full time. So it's interesting how these things, mm. you know, happened. And the Wiggles' first album was dedicated to my daughter Bernadette. And um, from day one, uh, we were involved with, you know, helping out spread the word about um, sudden infant death syndrome. Um, and in fact, the year after she died in 1989, because uh, we had a platform, we did a, a charity event at Selena's, which it's just down the road at Coogee, yeah. You yeah. It. it was a it was a big one too. I yeah. you know, I remember it. It was yeah. like at the time, it was just all it was superstars. It was the Barnsley, the Fonzie, yes. uh, Daza, Summers. <laughs> yes, it was like it was the greatest hits. And it, it, it was great. And and actually, kudos to Jimmy Barnes. I actually now know her as a grown adult, but his little girl at the time, Ellie May, <sighs> had was born quite premature and. Uh, almost did not survive and so mm. she was in one of those humidity cribs for a long time um, and uh, yeah mate I reached out to him and he was the first to say yes and at the time Jimmy was massive seller Barnstorming was humongous he'd left yeah. Cold Chisel people yes. didn't care because yeah. they were like we don't care we just came to see Barnsley yeah. <laughs> we just want to see the show and we want to see this guy to sing about the flame trees so he, let's go he, and he was he was doing the entertainment centre at the time you know and so on and, uh, like 10 nights in a row something yeah. humongous like that yeah he was yeah. as big as it gets so it was awesome of, of him and, and I've known him and worked with him in re- recent years a lot um, he's the same bloke he's, he's such a lovely generous he really is. giving guy um, um, so I, I still remember that. And uh, so it was good, even way back then. And, and funny enough, the first Wiggles appearance on TV was, I think, not I think, was the Today Show on a Red Nose Day. And they were playing live in, in Chatswood, you know. And uh, so it's all been connected, you know. But yeah. we, we're lucky in that sense, something so wonderful and beautiful and actually involved with children in such a positive way came from really a tragic Mm. Thing uh, and yeah, and so on. So yeah, it's 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 been good. You know, I've been lucky. My brother John as well is one of the Wiggles songwriters, and we've been able to work together for dec- twenty seven years now. You know, so yeah, it's it, what, it's interesting. You talk about Ellie May, uh, yes, and I've been had the very great pleasure of of uh, the time it was a time in my life when I was quite close to the Barneses and ah. managed to go around there a few times and really lovely family vibe yes. that's happening in that home, that home it's just really something very yeah. very special but there's a big difference between a premature kid and I know you know yes. a friend of mine I was telling Audrey and you're on the way over here as a, a friend of mine uh, she had a kid who was like barely mm. barely half term she was the size of a coke can 
Wow. Where she came out. Wow. Right? And, um, you know, there's a big difference between that yes. and sudden infant death syndrome. Oh, yeah. So for, yeah. for people that, you know, obviously people might have heard about Red Nose Day, they yes. might you know, have seen the acronym SIDS but not quite know yes. what it is. Can we? Can you talk a little bit about what, what it is? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, look, it's one of those. It's health, it's, other than that, it's like healthy kids, like your beautiful daughter. Yes. Just like nothing's going wrong here. Everything's I see you in the morning. Absolutely. And, and even if you think of that, like literally one in the morning, probably an hour or so, probably only an hour or less from when she died. Um, look, I can explain it as far as a layman can in the sense of it's literally the absence of any other cause. So, you know, doctors, coroners can tell give you the reason why they die, why a child dies or any person dies, really. This is the absence of that, right, where the body literally just shuts down. Um, and through research, which started before 1988, but the, with the first red nose days, a lot of funds started to pour into that area. They were at least able to identify some triggers so that, you know, they found in Australia that there was a high inc- Australia and New Zealand, there was a very high incidence of SIDS, one in 500 babies died from sudden infant death. Bloody hell. Yeah. And, um, and they thought, okay, and that it peaks during winter, during when it's cold. So, that, okay, it must be something to do with the cold. But in European places where it's cold most of the time, the incidence was quite low. So it kind of baffled them. Anyway, they eventually found out that um, what we do in Australia and New Zealand is we're not used to the cold. So when it is cold, what do you naturally do for your child? I better make sure they're warm. All the blankets I can find. Thank you. Bundle them up, wrap them up tight. And when Luke was born in Bernadette, we were told in hospital, wrap them up tight, put them on their belly so that if they vomit, they won't choke. Well, no, I don't. as far as I know, no kids ever choked on vomit to death, right? You're not Bon Scott. No, not exactly right. And um, so, in fact, that's the, overheating is one of the triggers. So they started pretty much the year after Bernadette died, a safe sleeping campaign, which is you put them on their back because, again, on their belly, um, they're more likely to overheat. You know, you actually cover them so they're, they're, they're not cold, but you keep the cot area quite free of toys and all that kind of stuff. You don't sleep in the same bed with your child because you will overheat, you can overheat them, you know. Um, that kind of stuff and all the other things of smoke-free, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that has had a profound amount of success so that from 1988 to now in 2018, 30 years later, the incidence of SIDS, SIDS has been reduced by 85%. Sure. And those that deal with numbers can say, well, that's 10,000 babies who are alive now who wouldn't had we not started this campaign. So it is interesting. There's not much you can do other than this safe sleeping thing, but, man, that has been helpful. Um, But there are other things like uh, that that exist with adults as well, sleep apnea. Um, So you can actually test for that, and that can be another one of the triggers for Mm -hmm. SIDS. Uh, So we had a daughter that was born just a bit over nine months after Bernadette died, Claire, her name is. And um, so we thought, okay, well, we'll get her tested for sleep apnea because, yeah. you know, we, we, and so on. And that was one of the worst nights of my life. Um, they had her hooked up to a, a, a breathing machine and uh, and I didn't know this at the time, but um, all babies have periods of non-breathing, right? And there's clearly something in the body that says, hey, time to breathe again, and you do. Clearly with SIDS and sleep apnea, that there's something there missing that says doesn't kick in and you, you, you don't breathe again. Well, I was there that night and every time she stopped breathing, I thought she would, was dead. <laughs> and uh, 
So I was a wreck and they came by the next morning with the chart and went, yeah, that's normal. And you know, I rang my mum, oh, my God, I, and Pauline, of course, I think Pauline might have been there, I can't remember. But um, I could hardly speak, I was crying so much, just saying, she's okay, <laughs> she's yeah. okay. And, uh, and you could get this motion monitor thing, which, you know, you put under the baby and, again, it, it's if they're non-breathing, you know, sometimes, you know, by touching them it can kick the body into go, okay, breathe, you know. Anyway, I don't know how long we had that but not long and same thing, every time it went off, it wasn't, oh, gee, I wonder what's, it was she was dead in our brains. So we would race in there and I thought, you know, after about five days you went, what? This is out of our hands, you know. She, we're, she's, she's in everything, we're doing everything we're meant to but there's not, there's nothing we can really do beyond mm. that, you know, and... Uh, so that was it, but you know, um, uh, you know, most of the babies that it happened uh, in those days, the statistic were that they were male um, in the first few months of life, all that. But Bernadette was out of that statistic, mm. you know, and it can happen up to the age of two years old, you know, SIDS, you know. Um, but that's it, really, that it, it still exists. And I, I actually put something on one of my Facebook pages and. Again, you know, even though it's 85% left, that's still 15% that it is happening to. Yeah. And a, a woman wrote to me basically saying, oh, thanks for bringing this up. My boy died just a few months ago. <laughs> Thinking, oh, God, I know the poor woman, what she's going through, you know. Yeah. And it's just awful, you know. So but It's a lot. It's something like nine, nine kids. Well, actually, it's uh, that, that what's red nose people do now that the organization's called red nose they actually do research into and and, and help uh parents who've lost children for uh any reason under the yeah. under a certain age and so now that nine a day of babies that die incorporates stillbirth uh, uh NSIDs and yeah. other things so in fact stillbirth is really worth talking to because again the organization helps in research in that area yeah there are more babies that die in, in the birthing process of stillborn than women who die of breast cancer and deaths on the road. Now, again, if you think of the attention and the government focus of research into both those areas, and stillbirth is that just awful. My mother's had seven children, but her first baby was stillborn. So we were aware of that from the word go. And a lot of people, it's something that not a lot of people talk to them about. At least in, in, a, in a child that was around for a little while, you know, they can put a face to a name, they yeah. can, you know, they, they would probably share in the joy. But there's so many people out there who experience stillbirth um, that they just don't talk about it. They're not encouraged to talk about it. But most importantly, that's something that needs research. And the money that's donated to Red Nose Day absolutely investigates SIDS, but miscarriage and stillbirth. Mm. So it, they do wonderful work. It's So there's, there's two, two things I, I, do, I do want to talk to you about. Yeah. And that um, after what you just said, I'm, I'm really thankful that you shared that story of what it was like no to be on tour and up in the yes. beach. And um, I can't even imagine, man. And yeah. I know the sound you're talking about. I know the sound that would have come out of your body that you don't remember making. You know, I know, you know, you might hear it like a neighbour might make it and it's, you don't know why but you're jumping over the fence to help them. You don't yes. even, because you hear it in their voice. Yes. like something in the back of your brain yeah. goes, something bad is happening yeah. and I'm going. Um, w through the incredible advances in modern technology, yeah. we are a generation that we kind of, don't have to bury our children. You, no. There's a cemetery not far from here. Sometimes no. we walk, you know, through there on the way to, to Clavelli or whatever, and you walk past gravestones. Yes, it's like 
two, age three, age four. Like it yeah. was just everyone you know would have buried their child. Yes. All right? Yes. Up until probably the 50s. Yes. Or the 40s, all right? Every, yeah. And there's why people will come from, they have nine because some yes. just, you know, there's no antibiotics. We just got to roll the dice. You know, that's a, yeah. a, a cut could kill you when yes. you're a little kid. Um, so you've gone from the society where everyone kind of knows that uh, it's pr- probably if I'm working in this environment with like 40 people in this office, probably mm. half of them have probably, you know, or 10%. Like there's a lot of people will know my pain. Yes. But now you're, you're very alone. Yes. It doesn't happen as much because it's modern technology. Please, after such, you know, you talk about the urgency around now looking after the kid that yeah. is, is alive, all right? W- what happens between the two of you when you then find out you're pregnant again? Yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting mix of emotions and um, uh, great joy in so many ways and also you, gr- you we were grieving at the same time and... Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because also we're of the age where my brothers and sisters and friends and so on had just started to have babies as well, and um, you know uh, if you believe in the power of prayer or a power greater than us, uh, man, heaven was stormed with that this baby will survive, but also to be a girl, and that's certainly from my wife's point of view. I, I, I wasn't so much, you know, but. And it's funny, like her sister and my sister had boys prior to Claire being born. Um, but yeah, it was it was um, very mixed emotions. And um, but man, you know, the, the uh, I think all children bring are a magnet for joy and love. And when Claire was born, mate, if you think the royal family celebrates a birth, <laughs> this child, you know, oh my goodness, and. Um, you know, again, I, I said this many times. It, it really is the case when your child dies, where one, as I said, you don't think you can actually survive, but you know, you've got no choice. <laughs> Life goes on. But also, you honestly never thought I'd ever laugh or smile again. Seriously, you know, um, uh, nothing worked. But the, you know, Claire's birth and her name means light, Claire. Um, it just helped us heal and um and you know as all babies do you know you 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 get on with it but it was interesting you know even when she was born oh my goodness she looked like bernadette too which is kind of scary and beautiful um so within i don't know how long it was (laughs) at um my wife had her ears pierced and had these little gold studs put in you know um just to kind of differentiate give her own little thing and i don't know man oh man we could have outfitted a country with a number of dresses she was given. She had like 20-something good going out dresses before she was one, let alone anything else. And, yeah, I was just, you know, uh, and then we had uh, a boy, Joseph, uh, you know, we had two of them kind of within 18 months, had two children that followed. Um, And it was great, you know, and uh, as the years, and then Dominic was born three years after Joe. So we had a mob of kids around us, you know, which we're both from one of seven kids, so we're used to family and so on. Um, but we're very conscious of letting them know about Bernadette from the word go. And and then years later, I don't know when it was, but because Bernadette only lasted, was alive for seven and a half months, so she never had a first birthday. And I always, you know, was able to tell the day she died, the 2nd of September. And someone asked me one day, 
what was uh, when was she born? And I could not remember, which killed me the day it happened. I was like, oh my god, you know. And you know, eventually remembered. So of course, in melodramatic field fashion, I had. Uh, her name and date of birth tattooed on my arm <laughs> with an image of the Sacred Heart, you know, which I think is appropriate, you know, and uh, uh, which is good. Actually, I was good. I thought every time, every day I get changed, I see her name and the rest of it. And also eventually uh, I thought, well, I've also got to let my kids know that they mean as much to me as Bernadette. So uh, the, the rest of the mob are on my on the other side with Pauline's name. So, yeah. uh, um, which uh, which is good to do, you know. And again, that's a bit of a, a throwback to other cultures as well. But I know where they get that stuff from. Yeah. The memory was it Khalil Gibran said, you know, remembrance is a form of meeting, and so it's good, you know. I, I uh, we speak about her a lot, and we're you know every. You know, those ceremonies from the past, every anniversary, her birthday and the date of her death, we go to the cemetery and we say something. You know, the kids vary in their faith and belief about other things, but that doesn't matter. You know, mm. we, 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 we certainly, um, you know, mark the occasion and, and, and that's also affected us. You know, in their upbringing, I, I apologise publicly to them. <laughs> you know, I, the bar was set very low with them in the sense of as long as they're breathing, I'm a happy man. Right. And poor Claire, I think we're not a thing. When I took her to kindergarten, she'd been to preschool and I was fine with that. I don't know why. I mean, not, I don't, that was good. She loved going to preschool and all that. First day of school, you have, you know, park outside the school and you walk your child down. I carried her. My wife said, you're going to have to put her down. <laughs> I thought, oh, God. And I was really worried. I don't know what it was about her going into the big world, you know, yeah. and I won't be here to protect her kind of thing. Yeah. I thought, oh, man, I was a wreck. And... Um, but yeah, you know they kind of kind of grown up. They've got dead good, decent kids now. And so, know, despite <laughs> like, I'm sure it was like a mix of emotions when you found yes. out that yes. you, you were pregnant again, and yeah. and you know just extraordinary triggers back to that night. Oh yeah, every single moment of yep. remembering. Oh, that's right, another baby's coming. But yes. at the same time, you were saying is that despite that, there was great healing. In 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 that in that new baby because like as you mentioned marriages break down it's oh, so yeah. easy to see how you could go that's it I am avoiding anything to do with this oh. ever ever again and I could see how easily that could happen to someone and carry then for the next fifty years of their life oh yeah well you know I I, I um I did some media this morning I was, I was on um, Today Extra with with David Campbell actually Jimmy's son and Sonia. And was talking about it, and of course, <laughs> it was crying, you know, retelling it. And that's, while that's, it, it frustrates me a little bit, that's actually a good thing. And I was, Claire was SMSing, my daughter was SMSing beforehand, she's, she's wise. And I was saying, I'm actually just thinking about this and tearing up. She went, Dad, emotion's a good thing, particularly for blokes, you know. And, and, and I thought, oh, okay, good on you, Claire, that's great. And it's very true, it's, it's 30 years ago and it's yesterday, you know, um, and that's not a bad thing. And I absolutely do not ever want to get to the stage of not getting emotional about Bernadette's life and death, you know, so that's a good thing. But, yeah, mate, you need help, you know, and um, uh, we're lucky we were kind of drawn even closer together. Um, and uh, and as I've said before, you know, we've, we've never forgotten her. We talk about her a lot. Again, back to different cultures, that's a great thing with so many cultures about, you know, people have gone before them. It's a beautiful thing and you learn so much, et cetera. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, 
it's certainly a, a mixture of feelings over those years and, you know, I find myself saying, oh, my God, did I actually just say that with, you know, uh, yeah, my, my kids are in their 20s and my oldest boy's in his 30s now and, you know, where they're going out and they'll just be gone for three days kind of, I'm going out. And, uh, you know, and again, particularly, you know, that youthful stage of malehood where they're indestructible. Yeah. And I've found myself saying, look, I've lost a child. I don't want to lose another. Just bloody well do this or whatever else, mm. you know. Um, <laughs> so the poor buggers, they, you know, uh, my parenting has, has, has got that added weight. But it's kind of good for them to know. And, and I say this now and again, you know, I'm, I'm like a cliche, but... I, I do say I'm not going to be around forever. I, we're, we're all aware that stuff, life can happen and yeah. change in a moment. And I just say, you know, like make sure you do this or just, you yeah. know, et cetera, et cetera. So the poor buggers have got to, uh, you know, they carry this around with them too. But, again, there's, there's, there's wisdom in that. And I think, you know, you know the, 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 the luck we have growing up in Australia you know, we, we run won the lottery here, you know, you know, and you speak of death and disease and that. The great majority of the world, you know, uh, goes through that. And you're right, even in Australia, until universal health kicking in the 70s, it was common for people to die of, you know, a, a, a after a certain age, you know, and of ordinary things that we can so easily fix now. Um, and a lot of the world is still facing that. And um, I guess... You know, it, it, we're very lucky to also realise that mm. too, you know. Yeah. So, so for people listening, every, everyone knows someone yes. that this has happened to. It's very All true, right. actually. It's like, you know, because the statistics are, are, are similar to that of because uh, I, I do a lot of work with um, SANE Australia, which is a, a mental health uh, ah, good. A charity. Yeah. Um, eight, eight people today will, will die of suicide. Wow. Uh, and uh. mental illness affects complex mental illness affects one in one in four Australians. So wow. Everyone knows someone. Yes, everyone knows someone. Very true. Right. Someone. So whoever's listening right now, whether it has happened in their life or mm. is yet to happen, what? How can we be there for someone in our life that this has happened? To? That's a very good question. In, in in a lot of areas, let alone death, whether it's the death of a child, mm. as you say, which is unnatural. You're not meant to mm. bury your children, but the death of anyone. And, and the one thing I learned was that whole idea of community where um, just actually acknowledging, saying, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry about the, you know, Bernadette's death or whatever it is, the death of her father or any hardship that people are facing, do it. To acknowledge it is a huge thing and it is like being embraced by them because, you know, it's, it's funny, um, you know, in the years, plural, that followed, ordinary questions that people ask you like, oh, yeah, how many kids you got? Was a real challenge for me, right? You know, oh, as it should, you know. Yeah, of course. It's it's, uh, and I would feel so. Um, oh, well, I don't know what the adjective is, but disloyal or whatever to Bernadette if I said four, right, instead of five, or you know, it depends on how many years it was after that yeah. I was talking, you know. And of course, people don't really want to know; they don't need to know, right? You know. But I would sometimes get into the well. I had three, but I, you know, I had you know whatever it was, and you know, going and they're suddenly faced with this tidal wave. Whereas now. You know, particularly overseas, but even in Australia, you know, I'll say, oh, I've got five children because I do. Four in my arms, one in my heart, you know, and, and so on, you know, and and, uh, and that's great. I can liberate myself there, you know. But, yeah, there was some friends that we were disconnected with because they didn't know what to say and I totally get that. 
But, you know, it's kind of my culture as well. You know, my mum's very much, if someone has a funeral, go to it, right? And um, and even, you know, just saying, hi, you know, I'm so sorry, or sign in the book, whatever it is you do, because later they'll go, oh, they were there. And it's, it's you know, you're t- they're together with you. It's a sign of them reaching out. And it, it sounds small, but it's not. It's profound. So we've learnt that since, you know, and... You know, we joke, my mum's a funeral groupie, you know, she goes to all this. But she knows the importance of it, and so do we now, you know. And there's even after Bernadette died, you know, there's relatives and friends where there was some big business thing or had some meeting. Well, I've forgotten what the hell that was, but I know that I didn't get to his sister's funeral or something like that. So as much as I can, that takes priority now, you know, because I know the difference it makes. But, yeah, whatever hardship people are going through, whether it's depression or whatever else, just to acknowledge it is a big one. Yeah. And talking about things, you know, and you're not going to, by the way, we're not going to resolve it. You don't have to. But just to, to people know that, you know, that, you know, I'm there for you or if you want to come around and have a cup of tea or crash out on the couch or whatever it is, is a, a big part of it, acknowledging it. You know, and you're right. If people break their leg, there's no question you'll go visit them or you send them a note or whatever else. People do a month in a clinic or a week or a day. Oh, geez, I better not talk about that. Mm. You know, or your child dies. I don't want to upset them. Guys, can you hear me now and clear? You're not going to upset them more than they already are. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's quite the opposite. By you acknowledging is such a huge step. So just out there, it's real simple. Just acknowledging. Is such a huge thing. Yeah, yeah. It is, I'm I'm so grateful you said that, and yeah. particularly with the the you know, if a friend of yours busted their foot playing indoor yeah. soccer yeah. or whatever, and they're wearing the boot of shame, yes, <laughs> you will go. Oh, you need me to pick you up anything from Carl's? Yes, because you know, getting in and out of the shopping center is going to be hard for you. I'll, yeah. sort, I'll sort that out for you. Yeah. If a friend of yours just lost a kid, yeah, like, it's too scary. I won't even text. Oh yeah, and I, look, I understand that too. But but all those things from days gone by about mm. you know the sisterhood, people making you food yeah. so that you don't have to cook dinner. Thank you, and yeah. you know, I'm, and you know, after every baby we had, Mum would come round for a week and wash the other kids, you know, help with the washing, all that kind of stuff, which is like, wow, this comes from another era, but, geez, it's, 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 it's real and it's helpful. It was interesting, you know, listening to you talk about how other cultures and other eras, how we've almost in our – and I, I've spoken about this on the – I had an extraordinary guest on, Danita is her name. Mm. Um, she's the grief counsellor for oh. the Leukemia Foundation. Wow. Um, and we're just talking about how in our society, in our kind of yeah. modern Western science is awesome society, we've kind of forgotten the the healing that mm. must take place around death and the grief and the uh-huh. time that is so vital. And you talk about wearing black for a certain number of years. Some people never take it off. But yes. uh, we were talking about uh, some funerals, they, the, the body's in the house. Yes. Oh, yeah. And some, some cultures, the body's in the house and people just come for days, days, yes. days. Yes. And I, I, I remember particularly a, a friend of mine, a guy I used to play in a band with, he, he passed away in an accident and a Greek Orthodox he was. And the funeral, there must have been 250 people that up in Brisbane at the wow. uh, church there by Musgrove Park. I don't think it's there anymore. But after the funeral, I'd never seen this at a funeral, the family lined up at the front yeah. by the casket and one by one, everyone just went along the line, like a, like a meet and greet, right? Yes. And, but just, 
oh, you're here. Boom, breakdown. Yep. Desperate tears. Yep. Next person, next person, next person. Next person walks up from the line. Oh, you're here. Boom, breakdown in tears. After 250 people had done that, yeah. they were kind of done. Yeah. And the, it was like the tank was empty. Yeah. And it was like, oh, I feel like you talk about acknowledgements. Like, oh, yeah, yeah everyone here gets it and everyone here knows and they're all here. I'm not alone. Yes. 250 people here. Oh, yeah. We've lost a son but we have all these people. Yeah. Let's go eat some food. And, 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 that, and that, 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 that comfort and it is comfort that you yeah. get. I've written to people who've lost their children and, and, and someone they love just saying that can nurture you, will mm. nurture you in the years. Of, you know, just that memory of that. And, mm. and a good mate of mine whose parents were from Ireland um, and he actually married an Irish girl, of course, and lives over there now. And his immigrant parents are still here in Australia. And the dad died. Um, his dad died last year. And they, uh, I don't know, the, the, the laws have changed a little bit, but he was allowed to have a viewing of the body in the house. Yeah. And they had to do it a certain way, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, that's very old school. But, man, it's it's helpful. And um, you know, my father passed away. Uh, 20 years ago now and um, when he was in hospital he's a tough bugger and um, he had a his second stroke which he, he hung on for eight days right and at first my mother was saying how am I going to you know look after him at home and we're all going mum he's not going home right you know and she was kind of in denial for a few days by the end she was going Johnny go you can go do you know what I mean? And that's a great, powerful thing for you to actually see them and go, okay, they've run their race. They actually look peaceful. Whatever it is, mm. however it's explained, I don't know how to explain it, but it does help you. And, um, yeah, I, I get it. I got it way back then. Just the acknowledgement, you know, the the mourners, the, the dressing in a certain way, the ritual. It's very helpful, the prayers, the hymns, no matter what your faith it doesn't matter. It's acknowledging them, you know, and and even like with, with my work with the Wiggles now, you know, they do so much off the radar with sick and sometimes dying children, you know, and Anthony, actually, I'm sure I know the experience with Bernard has impacted on him. So um, for more than 20 years, he, on Christmas Day, he goes into the kids' hospital with whatever Wiggles or whatever entertainers he can and 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 because you know those who are in Christmas Day they're very sick you know and they meet on a daily basis children they're very ill and he said oftentimes it's um, sometimes the little one is not even conscious enough to acknowledge they're there and they're there not so much for an engagement with the child though that's wonderful if it can but for the, a lot of the family around a dying child it's wow my Look look what's happened there. My child is so important that they've come to sing to them or get a photo for us and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, often at the funerals they'll play a wiggle song or wiggles a record a message for them and so on. So, yeah, all, all that kind of stuff, you know, it's, it's respecting them, acknowledging them, and it, it does help you, yeah. Besides, I mean, be, being there for someone, we're, we're here to talk about, uh, you know, Red Nose Day. Yeah. Um, when... People do, uh, you know, uh, it's the great thing about charity is like I don't know what to do, but yes. these people do. Yes. I'll help them yes. help. Yes, very true. How can I help them help? I can give them some cash. Yes. All right. So you mentioned a little bit before, can we could talk a little about the kind of work that um, that the, the, the money goes to and, yes. and like how it immediately is, is effective? 
Oh, well, look, the main thing is research. Mm. And as I said, God, there's very few organisations that could say, through this campaign, we've reduced the number of deaths by 85%. And I'm a great believer in research-based... Uh, sorry, um, evidence-based research. You and me, mate. Yeah, science is a, is a great thing. Hang yeah, on to it. Stick it with works. the evidence. <laughs> yeah, it very much does, you know. And again, son of a pharmacist, I can see the profound yeah. ways that, you know, medical uh, intervention and, 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 and so on can help. Um, and, you know, so the research into not only sudden infant death but stillbirth, miscarriage and so on is so critical. Um, so there's that and they... They're literally saving lives, yeah. you know, so that's awesome. Um, and there's, it's quite hopeful what they've done. But the other side of it is also counselling. Mm. And as I mentioned, we've mentioned a few times, man, oh, man, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's a wound, the, the loss of your child, the death of anyone, but particularly your child, is a wound that never really heals. And, again, part of you doesn't want that. And, I, again, through the Wiggles, I travel the world and meet lots of different people and... Um, uh, we got to know just after 9-11 happened in New York we were playing in Connecticut and I mean we're literally there months after the attacks on the trade centres and um, they said oh look there's a, fa- um, a wife a widow of a firefight out there with their little boy and they used to the, his name was Brian Canazaro he and his boy Christopher used to watch the Wiggles on TV um, and they bought the tickets saying I'm going to go see the Wiggles with my son and he was killed he's one of he worked in Brooklyn at Red Hook, one of the first units on the scene there, and literally died um, getting people out of the building, you know. Uh, and I got to know the Canizaros very well, um, and the Wiggles very generously about the year, the year after that happened got her and her family to come out to Australia for a holiday and just to kind of, you know, heal a little bit, which was wonderful. Anyway, I met Brian's father, Sam, who was also a firefighter in in Brooklyn for many, many years, decades. And uh, although our children died in profoundly different circumstances, he was a grown man, uh, you know the circumstances, and my was a little baby, but we have a bond. And I see him regularly, and I also see that look in his eyes of, of grief. And uh, we always hug goodbye. Yeah, he's an Italian background and so on, and... Uh, and he hugged me really tight the last time I saw him. And again, we hadn't been talking about death or anything like that, but I knew what he said. He said, it never leaves you, Paul. It never leaves you. Oh, geez. And uh, I'm tearing up now, you know, but it's uh, it's bloody true, you know. And, um, you know, that poor man, he's, he's uh, part of him died, you know. With his, and again, you know, death can be quite different. But there's no doubt there are some layers to some people's deaths that are extra layers you have to deal with. I mean, his death, the world saw. It was replayed on television every minute for oh, friggin' months. weeks, months, yeah. whatever. You know, so anyway, yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's, it's, it, it, it never leaves you. No. So the, the, the part of the work they do is in, is in counselling people. Who Thank are, you. Sorry. Are, yeah, no, yeah, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just, you know, wanting to be, yeah. because that, that is an extraordinary. It's like, how can we? stop this again and how can we look after the people that it's happened to? Yeah, look, and that's a huge part of what they do. And look, the day Bernadette died, there was someone was sent to see her Um, and uh, she was there and um, Pauline was saying to herself, she told me later, she said, as crazy as this sounds, she said the fact she was actually rational and able to talk to me, I thought, oh, she, she survived it. You know, that's 
sounds uh, strange thing to say, but you honestly don't feel know how you can survive this so, grief. Uh, a, uh, someone who'd lost their child. Someone who's lost their child on the day that your daughter died was sent to the was hospital. Sent to the hospital to be with your wife. Yeah, that's extraordinary. Yeah, they, they call them a parent contact and. And so straight away, that connection, that yeah. acknowledgement that you speak of. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And then in the months that followed, my wife would go to some of these get-togethers. And again, which were largely women, which, you know, the sisterhood is always, mm. needs to be there, is, is always. But for blokes, it wasn't the natural thing. And, and I remember, I, uh, you know, again, back to what Red Nose do, they, they provide these people and also can recommend you to see people. Mm. And uh, I went, my wife was going to a guy called Dr. Peter Barr, who was um, a counsellor. And actually, he had lost a child to something quite different. But <laughs> I remember him saying to me uh, a few months into me going to talk to him, he said, your body, your body language when you first came to see me, oh, I was an angry man, right? And, you know, it sounds wrong to say this, but... At the time, I was thinking, ah, is someone making money out of people's misery? And I was angry, you know, like you were in the medical profession. Didn't hurt my girl, you know, and my arms were crossed, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I've got to tell you, he he saved us, you know, like mentally. Um, And, you know, I I didn't even consider the fact that my wife and I would break up, but but I saw so many people where they just imploded. That I did recognise, you know, and... I still got part of that in me too, you know. I'm a bit messed up from that, but you know, <laughs> yeah. But we got through, and uh, and, and yeah, they, so they do wonderful work in counselling. And I got to tell you, in 30 years ago, it wasn't actually such a common suggestion. It's it's a great advancement in our in Australia at least, and the worldwide right. I think that the to seek helps a good thing. Yeah. You know, and again, that whole stigma attached to. If it's physical, people totally get it. Yeah. If it's mental, uh, they don't. It's just a moon boot for your brain. There you go. That's all it is. It's <laughs> not forever. It's yeah. just a little bit of support while you heal. That's it. Well, do you know, and, and also, you know, again, back to the Wiggles, but we, we, we meet um, people with additional needs of all ages, right, where physically adult people who, who might um, be on the autism spectrum who are still Wiggle fans. I love it. I get yeah. great joy out of the music. We meet them and and uh, it's it's interesting now. It's quite helpful now that we're, I think society is much more aware of people who perhaps might be on the spectrum or have all sorts of conditions and you can go, oh, okay, they've got this yeah. and you, you understand it yeah. and you can work with them and, and you can say, okay, I, I get it. It's so helpful now. Yeah. Whereas so many people were written off. You yeah, know, we dehumanise yeah. it. It's like, oh, yes. you're, yeah, that's it. You're, you're, you're sitting there. You take a little bus and you go to the weird little yeah. school with the bars on the windows and we yeah. don't have to talk to you or see you. Yeah. But, you know, but you are a human being and it's so wonderful that now we have that inclusion in our society. It's many, obviously everything could be better, yes. but it's far more. Oh, certainly in my lifetime. Yes, you know? yeah. certainly in my lifetime, mate. I, I'm just, I'm just bloody grateful that you have the strength to be able to tell this story. And I know each year, each anniversary must be difficult. And certainly around this time, for you having to tell the story and talk this stuff out is is must be difficult sometimes. But I, I, sh- I hope you, and I'm sure you get how powerful it is for people to hear it. Well, yeah, thank you. And, 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 you know, again, to be honest and selfish about it, I actually quite like the opportunity to talk about my daughter because yeah. most people I know don't even know she exists, right. you know. Um, 
so it is good. And and again, back to my daughter's wisdom: emotions, good dad. Showing like showing emotions a good thing. <laughs> I still apologise for it. And and on 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 the TV this morning and and with you now, you know. Um, I also say to myself, well, that's good because people do need to, do need to know to personalise it, to see a photo of my little girl and go, oh man, look at her, she existed and she died, you know, through this. And to personalise it is so important, you know. And 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 I can honestly say over the years, you know, just in the job I've got, a lot of it's the, the business side of it and the functioning side of it, but a lot of it is with the public. And and oftentimes, if I'm there with the Wiggles and we meet a parent who's gone through some type of very real challenge. Yeah. They'll introduce me to them because you can show empathy and it's real, mm. you know, um, and and that's helpful, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's a good thing. It's And you know what, and I'm just grateful for that. And the other thing I'm really grateful for, you talked about how your brother Anthony is like, if he wants to do something, he's going to do something. Yes. Um, <laughs> he said that people dig a man in uniform. There isn't a better <laughs> uniform than the Skivvy man. <laughs> That wiggles, <laughs> that wiggles, Skivvy. Well, that's 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 a uh, that's that we're, we're kids of the sixties, and, and <laughs> you know we 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 grew up watching the Beatles and the Beatles cartoons, and right. there's some wisdom you learn from that kind of stuff in entertainment as well. Right, it's very true. And if you if you've got to look, stick with it. <laughs> well, listen, uh, <laughs> when uh, Gigi heard that you were coming around today, she was because I got here just. Um, she was 10 when I showed up. Ah. We were just still kind of, oh, put the Wiggles CD on, just, for, you know, let's sing that, let's sing the Bears and Our Sleep song just for, just for fun. Yeah. I, just got a, I just got a couple weeks of that left. It was pretty <laughs> rad. It was pretty rad. So I'm like, mate, I'm just stoked you came around. Oh, thank you. Awesome, oh, thanks, for the, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Thanks. I'm going to tell you, shoot your photo, okay? Yeah, fantastic. Cool, cool, cool. That was Paul Field. You can donate to help families affected like Paul's family was affected at rednoseday.com.au. I can't thank Paul enough for coming on the show today. Thank you so very, very much for listening. A big thanks to my audio producer, Andy Marsh, show producer, Rachel Barrett, Anamitra Roy on videos, Mike Mills, also known as Toe Hider, who made the music for the show today. I have got to have a shower and get ready for the Logies because... Uh, I'm during the makeup chair in 40 minutes, so I'd better get going. Um, by now, you would have seen what happened last night. I hope it was good. <laughs> All right. Have a cracking week. Uh, if you need anything uh, else, you can always find me during the week. Send us your email at gmail.com. All right. Love you. Thanks for listening. Sleep well. And dream of beautiful things. <laughs>